Hi, my name's Colin. I'm a pastor here at Aletheia Bible Fellowship, and welcome to week three of careers and work within the Christian identity. This week we're focusing on how the fruit of our work uh, reaches those who are outside the circle of our workplace and doing that out of a place of intentful love. So if this video is helpful for you and you think it would be helpful for others, go ahead and share that with your friends and make sure to like and subscribe. So this month, it's about work. So what are you producing for the world? We'll ease into the intro to give everybody a chance to transition out. But what are you producing for the world? And what place does that have in your personal identity? These are the things that we've been contemplating, right? Week one, we touched on the fact that work produces good things for the world, and we must recognize the value in what we do, even if it's making pools for rich people, as we talked about in one cell group, anonymous cell group. Because <laughs> um, God wants us to enjoy life, right? And everybody enjoys pools. He wants us to enjoy life. If somebody uses what we produce in good conscience for evil, oftentimes that's not our fault. But on the flip side of things, grandkids love pools. Families are supported in that. Community events happen around pools. Like there's all sorts of good potential consequences that come from the work that we do. There's creating things because we're working and creating things in an image of God who's a creator. A pool, if you think about it, is kind of a mini ocean that God has created. It's a pathetic version of an ocean, but it's a mini ocean. You know, it's like a kid tool uh, at the house we stayed in this last week. Um, they had toy tools there. And little toy tools, like that's a pathetic version of the real thing, right? But kids love it. It gives them a sense of what the real creation is and it prepares them to use it, like gets them involved in it. Like that's a good thing for kids to have and process as a toy. Think about those same things as we go about those things that we've created at work and in the tasks that we set ourselves to and that God has set us to. Think of it as creating things adorably in the image of God's creation, of the image of his work. <clears throat> or, you know, if we're simply doing dishes at home. I love using the dish analogy because everybody hates dishes for the most part, except for weird people. Um, but blessed people and people that have lots to give. <laughs> but if we're simply doing the dishes, you know, it supports nourishment. It provides sanitation maybe making environmental choices that are wise based on the soap that you use and things like there's all sorts of potentials for doing right by that work that we've sort of talked about and I've elaborated on a little bit here. But what would happen, you know, you ask the question if your job was erased from the world, doing dishes, for example, it would be utter disaster. Like it seems ridiculous, but seriously, if, if people stopped doing their job doing dishes, like the world would go into chaos. Three meals a day, there's no dishes. Okay, all of a sudden we're using 10 billion pages plates, okay, all of our forests are gone, like, instantly. <clears throat> it's ridiculous, but that'd be true. Like, with 300 million people just in the U.S. or whatever, like, jobs are important, even if they are minuscule and seem that way. <clears throat> Beyond recognizing that you're producing for the world, though, and acting on that significance, producing quality work, like we talked about before, beyond that, um, as we talked about last week, in terms of having the identity of a good and godly worker, beyond simply having the identity of diligently produces good quality things, um, last week, we should also have the identity of somebody who gives others 
good gifts specifically works for other people to give things not just the consequences of what you produce but intently working so that other people may have things we should also have that identity somebody who gives others good gifts um, not producing good things for pride's sake just valid to some extent being proud of what you produce um, but not producing things for pride's sake in terms of feeling good about yourself or dare I say not even producing things just for God and his glory but more is actually demanded of us than that in our work did Jesus not clearly teach this in Matthew 22 35 through 38 when we see this <clears throat> written one of the Pharisees an expert in religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important, though. Equally, love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the plain teaching that it's not enough to be a holy for God, in the name of God, for his glory. Though those things are important and good, but we also have to keep in mind that we work so that we can love one another. That commandment is equally as important and integrally tied to doing right by God himself. So we must be working for other people too, with others in mind and others at heart. James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God the Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. God consistently provides good and perfect things for us. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And in other words, what that means is he's always what that means is he is always giving good gifts. And that is who he is. He never casts a shifting shadow or changes. That is part of God's identity. We should also adopt the of Christ in the types of workers that we are and how we view that. If we're going to give, it should be a good gift because that's how God gives. If, if you've ever bought a product that is a piece of junk, you know what it's like to get something sucky. You know, To buy something or to be given something that was poorly built. It's disappointing. You know? You're expecting something that's good, something that works and it's functional, right? But that's a disappointment. And often it's worse than not having the product at all, because then you have to deal with it. You're expecting to have something, but then you have to make up for that gap. You have to take it back to the store or just take the loss and buy something else. It's not good. It's not how things are meant to be, and that's not what we should be providing as workers and not what we expect of ourselves. Do you get the impression that the people who made that product, do you get the impression that they cared about it or you at all? Sometimes you think, find things that are just like, man, why did, what did they even do? How, what happened at the factory here? Like, did this totally miss quality assurance or whatever it's called? Did this totally bypass quality assurance? Um, we are making things and providing services that affect others all the time. They affect people. They affect families and businesses and that ripple effect the workers have in those businesses and so on. Everybody has a need for products on all sorts of different levels. Eating on an actually clean dish, if we're going back to the dishes analogy. You know, nobody likes pulling a dish out and there's a big chunk of food or like a grease 
slathered across it still. Like it affects people on whatever level you're looking at. But a good product facilitates joy and function and recreation and relationship even. You know, going back to the pool thing. Like a good product makes life good. And we should be able to take pride in that and have that as an important part of our identity as workers. Like making sure to give something good to people. We may not um, see the both sides of that, but God does see both sides of the cause and effect of our work. Our lack of perception doesn't make it right for us to slack off, right? It doesn't make us right to not give a whole effort at giving a quality piece of work as people of God. But our lack of perception does make it easier to be sinful. Is it okay to shoot a gun up into the air? Ask the Taliban, they'll probably say, yeah. So they do in celebration. Is that okay? You don't see the consequence. I don't see where that bullet's coming down, or all of those bullets. That's not okay. No way. It can cause serious harm. At the very least, it's useless, right? But when a believer takes a shot at something, it should be aimed. That's what we should do. That's who we should be in Christ. When Christ took a shot, he hit. Every time he spoke to somebody, his words cut right to the heart. He hit every time. Christ was like a philosophical sniper. We should strive to provide quality in our work after this example, in service to others, with love, knowing that a child of God will be affected, whether they know it or not. Some of y'all are in school still, you know, forgive me, in the first couple weeks I really didn't address all the kids and high schoolers and stuff in school, but school is a huge part of the process of work and has a lot of work to do in and of itself. You know, why are you in school? Because somebody made you? Because the law says you have to be in school till 16 or whatever it is? Believers should be above these lacking reasons. You should be in school to appreciate God's work. To understand how he beautifully made all of creation and all the things that have transpired and to learn from history and all of these things. Trust me, I hated history in high school. But I get it now, sadly. You know, like, I wish I got it to begin with, but I didn't. You have a chance to do better than me. School is society's way to invest in people so that people can thrive and give back to society, to give back to individuals and love them the way that we're talking about. So how can you use school to equip you? Sometimes, in order to serve well, <clears throat> we do have to put in that work and invest in ourselves and take that help. Um, sometimes also, in order to serve well, we have to invest in other ways. We have to provide for our own livelihoods. 1 Corinthians 9.12 says, If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. Um, but we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. So often we minister to those who can't or are unwilling, frankly, to support us. For Paul, he was called to build up the church in Corinth, a rich city, but they didn't support him voluntarily. In fact, he was partially funded by other churches, which he praised thoroughly for that donation to him, for their 
love and going out of their way to send him resources so that he could continue his ministry. Today, many people are sensitive to the church's abuse of money and are sinfully possessive of their own money, right? We're all pretty familiar with this. Probably most of us are guilty of it in some way, shape, or form even now. Um, This was likely the cause for the Corinthians too. Um, Though it's a right to be paid as a preacher, as Paul had outlined in that letter, grace abounds in Christ. And Paul was willing to sacrifice to provide this grace to the Corinthians, to be able to take them under his wing and build that church and mature them, grow them up to be the body of Christ that they were designed to be regardless of his pay. And he didn't want anything to be a block, to be a barrier for that. Paul refused to be stopped by a barrier like those people's sin or immaturity that he was trying to grow for God. So he and his companions worked to support their ministry, right? Like they didn't have their plates full already, fighting the Romans and persecution and fighting a bunch of stubborn rich people, trying to teach them and then trying to feed the poor and all this stuff. Like he didn't have enough to worry about already, but they worked to provide for their needs so that there's no barriers between the gospel and the people that they were trying to minister to. He and his companions worked. 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 10 to 13 says, Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ, you Corinthians. I have that. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty. We don't even have enough clothes to keep warm. We're beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn a living. We bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. And yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everyone's trash right up to this present moment. Paul's focus was on giving and ministry. His focus was on working for other people, regardless of what type of work that was. And his job facilitated that goal of service, which was tent making, you know, canvas work and like all this stuff. A real legitimate job with his hands. To be clear, Paul worked wearily with his hands, as it said in that passage. Um, Paul worked wearily with his hands to look like a fool, to be ridiculed and go hungry to be beaten and cursed, to be treated like the world's garbage, and to give away much of the money that he earned. A job allows us, gives us the opportunity and the blessing for us to minister to those who are poor or weak in spirit and need growth. Immature people who need saving and guidance. And Paul was driven by his reward in Christ, not this life not his reward that he finds in this life, so he could achieve that difficult task. Paul gave grace and gave up what he earned for the sake of Jesus Christ and his love for the people that he ministered to. Is this who you are? The answer is yes, it is. Whether you behave like it or not is a different story. But if you are a disciple of Christ, that is who you are. Now, are you going to act like it? Have you ever had a teacher who you found out, you know, in retrospect, bought class materials with their own money. It's always touching, even if you hate school, you know. When a teacher goes out of their way, spends their own money to get the stuff that their class needs to learn and benefit from. It's, that's awesome. It's pretty common for teachers to do, in fact. 
<clears throat> this is a Christian value based on God's example, based on the example of other members of the universal church, of the disciples that came before us. And it's rightfully inspirational. We should all think about those who can't care for themselves. Giving to those who can't give back. Luke 14, 12 through 14, Jesus turned to his host. And he said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your neighbors, brothers, relatives, and rich, friend, rich neighbors. <clears throat> For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, go ahead and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. One huge blessing of earning money is the ability to give in many forms, as is needed. Ephesians 4.28 says, If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. And this giving is transformative. It's not... Is that not who we should be as believers? Transformative. Transformed into givers by the generosity of our God who himself gave to us. One of the most prevalent themes in scripture is giving to the poor. Proverbs 19.17 says, If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Galatians 2.9-10 Galatians 2, 9 through 10. James, Peter, and John encouraged us, meaning Paul and Barnabas, to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion, of all the things that they could say, their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do, Paul says. James 2, 14 through 17 James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone can say he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a pretty strong body of teaching that's a pretty strong body of teaching, even just that little sample you know, of verses about giving to the poor and not expecting things back, using our resources in that way. That's what our resources are for. That's what earning money at our job is for. That should be part of who we are and why we do those things. <clears throat> and the whole body of that that I just gave as an example, it ends with that statement that if we ignore an opportunity to help the needy, especially in the body, then our faith is dead. There's no life in it. Is part of your identity as a worker to be equipped to provide for others that you may not even know. You may not even know yet. You may not see the results of those things necessarily. And we possibly have an even greater responsibility as workers to make sure that our family and extended family are taken care of. 1 Timothy 5 Verse 3 and 4 says, Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her, meaning the church, you know. The church should take care of any widow who has no one else to take care of her. But if she has children or grandchildren, then their responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. 
This is something that pleases God. The church is only supposed to be responsible for needy people only when they have no family to step up and care for them. So, what does that mean on the flip side of it? So the burden falls on us individually to care for our family members. This is another big responsibility of us and something that work is for in order to earn us the ability to please God in this way, to care for our family members that need it. Is there somebody you're responsible for caring for now or in the future? Are you a godly person who is stepping into that role to provide for family in need? 1 Timothy 5, 8, continuing on just a couple verses later, says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, we see dead faith as the interpretation for a person who refuses to provide for others that they know they have a responsibility for, especially. Work is an important tool for us to fulfill God's expectations for us. It should be part of who we see ourselves as, as a worker, of why we signed up for the first, in the first place. Or if not, go through that transformative process and own that as who we are, the person that works for others, not ourselves primarily. And those things are a blessing to do, and will be rewarded by a God who is a God of justice. I'd like to sort of wrap into a conclusion with a line of thought inspired by a proverb. Proverbs 16.8. It's better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. So, where's the dishonesty? Where's the lie in this scenario here that we're talking about? Using work for the right reasons in telling ourselves that we need our stuff and our money and all that, and we're doing right by God in the meantime. We're not the type, necessarily, to cheat and steal overtly to achieve wealth, you know? I don't know a lot of people that are like that. Some, maybe they'll dabble if the opportunity presents itself just a little bit, but not overtly, you know? That's not generally part of our identity. But, where is that lie? Let's continue to Malachi 3.6. Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love that title. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, said the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. 
your grapes will not fall apart from the vine before they are ripe. Says the Lord of Heaven's armies, Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. You said terrible things about me, said the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of Heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich. Those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. Everybody answers, you know, in this society, like, no, we don't cheat God. But God says, yeah, you cheated me. You haven't given all the requirements to the temple for the priest to eat as sacrifices, for the priest who served the Lord to be able to be provided for, to provide for people. It's interesting that, you know, God doesn't, like, gobble up these sacrifices. They don't burn it up in its entirety so that it all goes to God, like, in the air or whatever. Sacrifices are to provide for other people. That living sacrifice that the Lord values so much to care for others, to, to provide for them. That's the issue. And I'm not saying I'm not channeling this whole sermon into giving to the church in tithes or whatever, your you know, basic 10%, although that's valid. But it's all of it. It's what we do with our work. It's all the resources that we get from the blessing that God has given us in all these different forms that we put our effort into. We love people with the products that we produce and from the monetary benefits that we gain from that in a lot of cases. What are we doing with that? Are we also willing to use that for what it's meant for? Not just to pad our pockets and take care of our retirement, but to take care of our families and take care of those people that are needy that we run across that will benefit from that as we you know, engage them in a loving act, in dedicating and serving with intent, with aiming our shot, not just firing up into the air and hoping in faith, quote unquote, that it comes down somewhere valuable. <clears throat> That's cheating God if we're not using our work with intent in all of its aspects. Or they said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands? You know, being self-focused in work instead of identifying as a servant. What's the use of serving God, you know? At my job, it's dead end, like, I can't make a difference here. Do we write that off? Do we think that we're useless at our work? Are we going to make that dedicated to the Lord and seek to understand how it is that it relates to those outside? 
And even if we don't know that person that's going to receive the product that we make or the service that we do, or we take part in a, you know, a process like dishes that millions of people, tens, hundreds of millions of people do all the time, you know? Do we just write that off as something meaningless? Or are we doing that and serving the Lord and trying to love people through those things? Don't cheat God for the role that he has for you. Everything should be lifted up to him as a sacrifice, and that is who we are, whether we know it or not. But now we know it, right? Are we essentially doing the same when we aren't working for what God wants us to work for? The same as those people that Malachi was talking about. We should be working as reps of God and providing for this world. You know, we should be working to be able to give. We should be working to be able to take care of those in need, family or otherwise. Then he says, but for those who live for God, in God's presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Scroll of Remembrance was specially set aside and written down in the presence of the Lord of Heaven's armies, of those people that did right and sought to honor the name of God in all that they did. A Scroll of Remembrance was the royal archives recording the most significant, most significant events under the reign of a king. This is no flippant use. This is no you know, run-of-the-mill document that gets shoved in the file archives, you know? This is an important thing, that we honor God and dedicate what is His, do everything for Him, and that we hold that as sacred in our identity. That's who we are. Everything we do in our work, reaching out to love God and to love our neighbor. Our Father in Heaven takes special note of those who serve Him with their whole lives. So we should do that. And make that part of who we are. Alright, let's think about some questions for our cell group. Do you think about the consequences of your work beyond what you will ever see? Do you think about the consequences of your work beyond what you will ever see? How does your love for others factor in? kind of a abstract concept, but at Haven, sometimes there's a conversation about cooking, right? And it's a difficult concept, I think, um, but it's about loving the food, you know? It's like, sometimes you can tell when food is loved, even if it doesn't necessarily turn out 100%, you know, restaurant quality or whatever. Like, there's there's a way that you can love the work that you do and to be thinking and active and, and honoring what God has given you for work. So how does your love for others factor into that process? <clears throat> um, number two, how are you giving? You know, should you be doing more? Simple question. How are you giving from the resources that your work um, provides? And that's not even necessarily always monetarily. Like there's plenty of people that don't earn much money or any money, but how are you giving? 
should you be doing more? Because everybody's got that responsibility. Uh, how are you planning on taking care of relatives who are going to need it? Most of us have relatives. Not everybody, but we're not necessarily relegated to biological family either, right? Because if you consider somebody your family, you can be willing to bet that God is going to hold you to the standard that that person is your family. So, those people that you think of as family and your relatives, <clears throat> how are you planning on taking care of them when they need it? If you don't earn money, or much money, as a worker, how will you meet God's expectations to provide for the needy? Something that is super universal in Scripture. So, think out of the box, you know? How are you going to honor God in that way with your work? How are you going to work to provide for the needy in some way, shape, or form if you don't earn money or much money? Okay. Let's break apart and talk. <laughs>